0: As Julie mentioned, my name is Kristen Steed. I am Director of Adult Discipleship here at Christ United. I am also on my seminary journey at Perkins. I'm going to graduate this May, and so I am thrilled to be here with you all this morning, having the opportunity to preach. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are worthy of our praise and our adoration today and every day. Empower us to open our minds and listen to what you are calling each one of us to do. In your name I pray, amen. So, have you ever thought about these interesting phrases we use as society? Ones that I think we're trying to encourage each other with? Ones like, rule number one, never be number two. Eat or be eaten. It's not over till I win. Survival of the fittest. Look out for number one. If you don't, no one else will. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and life is a battlefield. Fight for what you want. I reflected on these phrases that we say and thought about the teachings of Jesus. I thought, from what I hear and see in Scripture, I don't know if these phrases and quotes we say as society would have the stamp of approval. So listen to what I found from scripture. Luke 6.31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, I don't want to be eaten, so I think eat or be eaten is out. Matthew 18.3, and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I think we can also cross out survival of the fittest, John 15:13. no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Well, I think we can also cross out, look out for number one. So when I look at these scriptures, these were countercultural teachings that Jesus was sharing with his disciples and followers at the time. And they're also countercultural still for us today. So the scripture we're going to take a look at is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And in there, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, the church of Philippi, to encourage them in the same manner, to live differently than the side he was telling them to live. So let's go ahead and go to part of our scripture today. We're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 5 right now. Listen, friends, for the word of God as proclaimed by God's servant, Paul. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love. Oh, I'm sorry. Being of the same mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition. This is what he is sharing with the Philippians. And the Philippians, the church in Philippi, is a church that Paul planted. It's one of the earliest church plants. And he, Paul is one of the leaders. He's an apostle of Christ. And he's a leader in the early church movement. And the Philippians is a group of people that he cares deeply for. If you spent time in any of Paul's letters, you'll know that some of them he gets a little more, um, more like a reprimand. We're in the letter of. Uh, to the Philippians. It's full of joy. In the first part of the letter, he calls the Philippians his beloved. And not only that, he uses the word joy around 16 times, some form of of joy or rejoice. And what's odd about it is Paul is writing from prison. You wouldn't think that someone would be writing such a joyful letter from prison. But yet Paul knows the true joy that we can find can be found in Christ. And he's going through these hardships because it's really hard to be a Christian during the early church. And so he knows the Philippians are going to have to gather together and find their own joy together. So he's offering them these encouraging words. And these encouraging words, we're about to read this next part, which is at the heart of this letter, is around imitating Christ's humility— In order to find so much joy, we should imitate the humility of Christ. So let us go on to the next reading, where we go to Philippians 2, 6 through 11. This piece is called Christ Him. So we're speaking now of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, the Father. Oh, it's beautiful. So Paul tells the tale of Christ in this legendary manner, right? Like you can see the poetic built around this and the structure. And we don't know for sure if Paul wrote this, but we know that Paul is using this to encourage the Philippians. Think less of themselves, but think more of each other. And not because they're not worthy of God's love, for we are all worthy of God's love. The Father sent the Son, Jesus, to show us that. But we are also equally in charge of caring for each other. So in order to get through these hard times, we must care for each other. There's this beautiful quote around this Christ hymn that commentary author Fred B. Craddock said, The central event in the drama of salvation is an act of humble service. Isn't that beautiful? We're gathered here today because of an act of humble service. So what does that mean? If you can't tell, I'm seeing this thread line of humility that is gathered through this scripture. Humility that we're supposed to imitate off of Jesus. And I love this quote by C.S. Lewis about humility. He says that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's just a beautiful phrase. And I find that as the foundation of really some of our best virtues, right? Like if you're thinking about humility and having a mindset of humility, then it's almost like you're planting seeds, where you're planting these seeds of humility, and what sprouts from there is kindness, and mercy, and forgiveness, and love. Because without thinking that you are humble to everyone else, how can you forgive others? So I was driving the car this week, and I hear this question from my fourth grader. Well, what does humility mean? And this was after I had asked her jokingly or not jokingly to write my sermon for this week. Because, you know, she would have done a great job as well. So she asked me, what does humility mean? And I'm like, oh, you know, uh, like, be humble, right? It's never good whenever you're defining the word with another form of the word. But I was really at a loss to adequately explain Humility. Have y'all ever been that way? You're like, no, I mean, I know what it means, but explaining to someone what it means is really a hard thing to do. So when I got home, I decided I need more of a concrete answer. If Paul is asking me to have humility like Christ, well, I better know what humility means, especially if I'm preaching about it. So I looked up um, online and I found a definition that really resonated with me. Humility is the quality of being humble. Well, they also cheated and used the form humility. It involves a modest and unpretentious view of oneself, acknowledging one's limitations and imperfections and the absence of arrogance or excessive pride. A humble person is open to learning from others, values the contribution from others, and does not seek to dominate or boast. Humility is often considered a virtue associated with a genuine understanding of one's place and the larger context of life, relationships, and the world. When I look at this definition, I see Jesus's ministry throughout here. Jesus, God, does not have limits And Jesus was perfect, but the example that he was setting for us was to be open to people, to be open to experiences. Because when Jesus came to earth, Jesus emptied himself and came in the form of a human and as a carpenter's son. Jesus was not an earthly king. The Israelites had expected a Messiah who would sit on a throne in a castle. But Jesus came in a form where he gathered around the table. He gathered with his followers who were tax collectors and fishermen and women who were not that high in the society at that time. So I reflected on what it would have looked like for us, what the story would be like if Jesus came as an earthly king. What would it be like to have him sit on a throne in a high castle, Would he have ordered us to love, instead of showed us how to love? How would we have learned so much about that connection? Because what I'm seeing now is humility is the foundation for connection. When we are open to admitting we're not always right, when we're open to learning from others, it creates this connection where you can meet people where they're at. I think about when you have arrogance or pride, it's almost like a wall comes up to you, a wall comes up in front of you. It makes it hard for you to flow out that love because it's hard to send anything through the wall of pride when your ego is built. But when that wall is down, when you are humble and open, not only are you connected to others around you, but you're open to God. You're open to listening to what God is calling you in your direction. And God has been telling us this forever. We can even go back to the Old Testament and see this. Micah 6, 8 is another scripture that I know many of us love too. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with God. Because in order to walk humbly we are empowered to by God. And I think that's really that foundation, that foundation that can inspire us. And so what does humility look like? What does it look like for you and me? What does it look like for us right now? Well, I thought of a few examples. Humility can look like a new parent who has read all of the baby books, and they are absolutely 1,000 percent certain they have all the answers. But when this tiny infant comes home, and they are crying in the middle of the night, and you've already fed them, you've already changed them, you've already burped them, humility looks like asking for help. Asking a friend who's been there And humility in the response looks like that friend not saying, oh my gosh, this baby thing is so easy, because it is not. It looks like the friend saying, this is hard. I've been there too. Here's what's worked for me, and I'm happy to walk alongside you. Humility looks like the kid in school who gets an invitation to a birthday party from a classmate who might not be as popular but this kid accepts that invitation knowing none of their friends are going to be there, but knowing that this kid deserves a birthday celebration as big as anyone else. It takes humility to see other people. It takes humility to see people who need you, who need that connection. Humility also likes looks like, I'm gonna say a lot of parenting references because I have knowledge in this area, but humility also looks like a parent who can tell a child at no matter what age they're sorry. They can get down to their level and say, Mommy was wrong. I shouldn't have yelled. Can you forgive me? Humility looks like taking off that perfect mask that you try to hide behind and admitting that I'm suffering with some anxiety right now. I'm having a hard time with depression, and you know what? it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help and reaching out to get that connection. Humility looks like coming to church, welcoming new people, having, asking them to sit next to you in your pew or your chair and inviting them to your Sunday school class, not because you think they need to learn something, but because you know that you can learn from them. Humility comes in all shapes and all stages and all sizes from all people. Humility is something that I hope I never lose. I started seminary two and a half years ago in the fall of 2021. I was scared to death. (laughs) I felt very, very affirmed in my call, but I really had felt little experience when it came to the Bible. I barely knew Genesis was at the beginning of the book. But I went forward and signed up for amazing classes. And one of the classes I signed up for that first semester was Old Testament with the legendary Dr. Roy Heller. If you talk to any Perkins grad in the last 20 plus years, they will affirm he is legendary. As I said, he's been teaching at Perkins for 24 years. Let me give you a little list of his resume, just so you can hear how amazing this guy is. He earned a PhD in Hebrew Bible and Old Testament at Yale University Graduate School, graduating in 1998. He also earned a Master of Arts and a Master of Philosophy degrees from Yale, a Master of Sacred Theology, and a Master of Divinity degrees from Yale. I mean, no big deal. He's just going to Yale, right? And then he's also written many books, many commentaries in Old Testament. This guy knows his stuff. So I was very excited to take this class because I knew he would teach me so much about the Bible. But what I also didn't realize is how he would teach me so much about humility. One of the first classes, we are probably still in Genesis. I do know it's at the beginning of the Bible now and we were still hanging out there. And I remember one of my classmates raising her hand and asking Dr. Heller, have you ever thought about interpreting the scripture this way? And I thought, well, I'm sure he has. I mean, he's Dr. Heller. Um, To which he responded, huh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I see what you're saying. I want to learn more about what you're saying. I was shocked. This man who knew so much about the Bible not only was opening to listening from others, but listening to another classmate and sharing that with the whole class. It set a beautiful example for the entire class and how connected we are and how Dr. Heller felt our opinions were just as valued as his because he exemplified that humility to us. When we exhibit the humility that Jesus exemplified for us and we are empowered through God to open up that connection to our neighbors and to God, it not only transforms our lives, it can transform the world. So today I would like us to leave with a question. What can I do to walk more humbly with God? Amen.